You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 174. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting USA Today bestselling and award-winning mystery writer H.Y. Hanna. She is the author of several best-selling cozy mystery series, including the Oxford Tea Room Mysteries and the Bewitched by Chocolate Mysteries. She's tried her hand at a variety of jobs, including advertising, modeling, teaching, English, and dog training, before returning to her first love, writing. I had a great time chatting with uh, Xinyi about her writing, the hard work that she puts into uh, becoming a successful indie author, and a lot more. So stay tuned for that interview uh, coming right up. Uh, but for show notes and to access 170-plus interviews with uh, other mystery and thriller authors, go to thrillerauthors.com. And to sign up to the uh, Thrilling Reads uh, mailing list and to check out all my other links, uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links. All right, here is my interview with H.Y. Hanna. Hi, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And uh, today on the podcast, I have H.Y. Hanna, who is a USA Today bestselling author. She writes fun, cozy mysteries filled with quirky characters, lots of laughs, clever twists, and cats with big personalities. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alan. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad that you uh, that, you, that you're on here. But I wanted to talk to you for a while, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the nitty gritty of 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 your writing and your books, you tell us a little bit about your background before you started writing. I suppose, like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people who are writers, you know, I, I have always written things. I, I, um, you know, I was always writing things even as a child, like diaries, um, you know, letters. I loved writing letters to people. Well, most people don't like writing letters. Like, you know those old-fashioned letter paper, you know, the kind that you could see through? Oh, yes, um, yeah, 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 thin well, paper, I, yeah. Yes, yes, and nowadays I don't even buy that anymore. But <laughs> I used to cover sheets and sheets of that, you know, to write. I had a pen pal, and, you know, I wrote, I, mean, I just kept, I just wrote anything I could, like shopping lists, um, you know, whatever. But um, I never actually considered being a writer as such like it, it was almost a bit like um you didn't really want to admit it to yourself you know like that you you enjoyed writing but it seemed almost slightly shameful to say you wanted to be a writer um I, I think partly because you know I'm from Taiwan and so in in, in Chinese culture you know in Asian culture you know being a creative is not really very aspirational um you know usually they want you to be a doctor <laughs> or um you know an accountant or a lawyer or or you know one of the sort of professions um and and you know saying you want to be a creative you know whether you want to be an artist or dancer or something is is quite kind of um, frowned upon and so i think and i was very much the kind of child that always did what i was told you know i, I was very I, you know, I wanted to be the good girl and mm-hmm. do do what I was supposed to. So I think for a long time I didn't allow myself to even consider it as a possible career because it, it just you know it's a little like saying I want to be a rock star. Kind of <laughs> you know, it seems almost a bit grandiose and kind of embarrassing. Um, and so yeah, so for many years, I mean, in my early kind of adult life, I I tried sort of a succession of different jobs. I just you know, try to fit in basically. And I, I did, you know, office jobs. I did, I was a marketing manager. I worked in advertising. Um, I did, um, I actually even trained as an ESL teacher, English as second language, um, and, you know, taught English for a while. Um, and I was, I worked for um, educational publishing company. I, I just did a whole lot of different jobs. Um, 
I did dog training, I did <laughs> modeling, I did just, you know, everything just to try and sort of, um, you know, fit in really and, and do a sort of a conventional kind of nine to five thing. I, I think like all along, I, and I was never really happy. I was always sort of, you know, just kind of marking time, I suppose. And, and then I sort of was approaching my 40th, 40th birthday. And, you know, you have that sort of big you start thinking, you know, what am I doing with my life? Kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, and and I just sort of, and, and, you know, all along, all through this, I had been writing. Um, and I did actually briefly in my 20s, um, I did have an agent. I, I had, I started writing a novel then and very quickly got an agent, actually. Um, and she was submitting to, you know, to publishers at the time. And, and I didn't, you know, I got quite close to a book deal and then it fell through. And then I very quickly gave up. I just sort of thought, oh, it's obvious that, you know, like everyone says, writing is just you know a, a dream it's just silly to even think about um but obviously as I you know got older I started thinking about it again and I, I think um and so I thought okay fine you know you're not getting any younger and you know you've got to just try and you've tried everything else it's time you sort of do what you really want to do <laughs> and actually even then I didn't like even though I didn't do not like I didn't say oh, I'm going to write a novel because that again seemed too far you know, too grandiose kind of thing. So I did freelance writing for a while. So I wrote for magazines and newspapers and such. A, and, and it was good. It, it sort of, you know, it gave me the idea that you could use, you could write for a living, that you could earn a living writing. And then, you know, there was sort of a short step from that where I sort of realized actually what I really wanted to be writing was novels. Um, and and then, you know, sort of finally got the courage to to sort of get back into that, I suppose, and just give it a proper go. Will you do that in secret or like do, were you telling your family uh, about this? Uh, no, it was, I mean, my, my, my husband is amazing. Like he's, in, you know, he was incredibly supportive all, all along. Um, and I mean, I married very young. So, you know, he was there with my first novel attempt, et cetera. And he's always been very supportive. Much, He's actually much better than me. Like he's very, you know, he has real faith in me. Whereas I'm very quick to just think, oh, no, the whole thing is just you know, I'm just dreaming. Um, I think it's almost like I was afraid to let myself wholeheartedly go for it because mm -hmm. you know you know that thing about how if you if you really try and then you fail you 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 know whereas if you don't let yourself really try then you can always say well you know I didn't do you know what I mean like, yeah like I never I tried yeah, yeah 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 it's fear of failure I think mm -hmm. and if you really put yourself out there if you really you know like chase after the dream and then you fail then it's a dreadful failure you know yeah but um but I mean you know I'm, I'm very grateful to be where I am now where I did the end, chase after the dream and, and you know a lot of that is down to my husband and then my family actually generally were very supportive as well like you know my mother even though she's you know a Chinese mother <laughs> but um you know that overall it's I've been very lucky I think I I, I pers like my personal struggle was a bigger barrier than actually the people around me. Like I know a lot of them, people say they didn't get a lot of support from family and friends. And I was actually very, very lucky, like with, with my family and friends. Um, I mean, my brother-in-law was amazing. He, he, um, when I, one of my earliest attempts at publishing, you know, I tried a romance and that's not what he reads, but he probably went out and bought it and read it. <laughs> And I thought that was amazing. Like it was a really, you know, lovely gesture on his part. So, so yeah, I think, you know, I was very, I've been very lucky from that point of view, but, but, you know, they always say your biggest enemy is yourself. <laughs> so it's always been my own kind of doubts, I suppose, and, and sort of fear of, of, you know, really going for it that stopped, held me back for so long, I think. Um, sometimes I slightly regret it. I think if I, if I'd had more faith in myself and, you know, stuck with it earlier i would have been published earlier and had a lot more books written by now but anyway uh, better uh, late than never though so yes. there you go. 
true. <laughs> yeah. And now you've uh, you first started writing uh, romance, then you you tried other genres before you you, you settled into the uh, mysteries, right? Yeah, I mean, I always wanted to. Again, it was the same story. I think I always, you know, mystery is really where. I mean, I read my my the genre I like to read is crime fiction. Mm-hmm. So you know, and that's what I was reading all the time. All, all sorts of crime, like psychological suspense, you know, police procedurals, mysteries, etc. But um, but when I started, um, and that was you know when the indie sort of revolution was happening, you know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of kind of um, talk about how you had to write romance in order to succeed or to sell. Um, and so I suppose I've, I've sort of fell to that. And partly because for me, it was very important. I think because I always had this struggle with myself to allow myself to be a writer, so to speak, I've always felt that I had to earn, I had to be able to justify being a writer, as in I had to be able to earn as much being a writer as I would have if I'd got into a normal job, you know, normal in quotation marks. <laughs> um, and and so therefore, for me, it wasn't just about, you know, like it wasn't just about publishing and, and finding an audience. It was, you know, it had to it had to sell. It had to actually earn a decent income for me to feel like it was a justifiable career path. Um, and therefore, I was very keen to make sure I wrote something that was commercial. And I think that's why I fell very much in the beginning into the romance genre, because that's what everybody kept saying, you know, that's what would sell. It just wasn't me, really. You know, I, I kept producing these stories where, you know, at the end, like the couple wouldn't get together. And then and the, the reader would just be like, but but what happened? Like, there's no, you know, they didn't get together. And I'll go, yes, but they found out who murdered the rest of <laughs> there'd be too many dead bodies and after I worked out that actually my focus was not on whether they got the happily ever after but whether they ever found out who killed whoever it was (laughs) so um, so yeah I switched eventually um you know to to writing mysteries and and actually and you know like I guess like these things when you finally do the thing you really probably were meant to do in the first place it just you know I was very lucky again like my cozy mysteries took off um very quickly and and I I never really looked back um but I, I did you know, I did by then I'd been publishing for a few years. And I think those early years did help because I I did learn things like, you know, for example, market, mm-hmm. like like um understanding the market and and you know what what a readership expects from a particular genre, those kind of things which do matter and and how those things affect whether a book sells much more than necessarily brilliant writing. And that was your first series, was that was that the English Cottage Garden Mysteries? Or was those no, your, that was, was the Oxford Tea, Oxford Tea Room Mysteries. Was oh, my the first. Oxford Tees, yeah. Yeah, so, and that was what I mean, like, I, because at the time when I started thinking about it, I wanted to write a series set in Oxford, because I thought, oh, it would be very interesting for people, you know, to get a glimpse into sort of the world of the university, which is quite sort of eccentric and unique. Um, and also, you know, obviously with the Gothic colleges and all that, it's quite mm. a good setting for mysteries. But I originally thought of something a bit more like Inspector Morse. Um, I don't know if you you follow that series. It's like a mm-hmm. British, um, yep. yeah, detective series. Um, so something a bit like that, more bit more serious, bit more atmospheric and darker. Um, and I and I was and I had this idea of you know, but set in the college, so like the lead detective would be as would be a um, a student at, the, at one of the universities, and she goes to university there, you know, and, and stumbles across murders as such. But then I realized as I was sort of starting to write it that actually it didn't fit the market because, you know, an, an amateur sleuth usually would fall into cozy mysteries, mm-hmm. and cozies have a particular tone and they have a particular kind of um, setup that readers expect. You know, they usually want a quaint setting. That you know, they want sort of eccentric, comical characters, larger than life characters. Um, there's a lot of comedy and it's quite a light tone and there's often a hobby of some sort, you know, like baking or knitting or, you know, something like that, that, that um, readers enjoy learning more about that particular sort of 
um, craft or, or, or world. And so I sort of thought about it and I thought, oh, that doesn't really fit what I had in mind, but I could tweak what I had in mind. And so what I did was instead of having her as a, you know, a current Oxford University student, I just made her a graduate um, who'd given up her, her you know, high-flying career to return to Oxford which is where she used to live and open a tea room. And there I had my whole kind of British baking, you know, which generally people love, you know, the whole scones and afternoon tea thing, um, which gave you the quaint aspect of the cozy thing. But at the same time, I could still bring in all the things I wanted to bring in, which was the university and the, her background and, you know, all the sort of, sort of that, that side of things. So I was just learning to balance the, the elements, you know, and obviously you could have, you know, it was set, the tea room was set in a village. So you would have your nosy old ladies that provide mm-hmm. the humor. Um, there was a cat involved and, you know, so the, all the elements that ingredients that cozy distributors like to have, but in my, but, you know, with my unique sort of take on it, because it's set against the backdrop of Oxford university and the whole kind of, um, you know, the Cotswolds. Um, as a setting, you know, was that the one though that you wasn't the uh, the cat in the in that in those first books based on your on your actual cat? <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> I mean not that. so much based on my cat, but more the inspired. I mean, it is the same name. So the cat's called Muesli. My my own cat's called Muesli. But I think it was more that I felt that you know it was important to include a pet of some sort, and a cat was an obvious choice. But I I also didn't want to do the whole kind of twee gushy kind of oh you know love the cat kind of thing, and and I have a sort of love-hate relationship with my own cat <laughs> um, I mean obviously I do love her but you know cats have been very very frustrating and I'm actually I've always been much more of a dog person and we have a cat you know we got a cat because my husband loves cats and so I've had to learn to live with a cat um, and I thought to myself that it would be more interesting if the heroine actually didn't love cats to begin with you know so I guess a bit autobiographical in that, <laughs> is that that you know her relationship with the cat in the series is a lot mirrors a lot mine and all the frustrations I have with cats in general and they're kind of you know, that they're kind of contrary personalities, which obviously makes for a lot of humor and provides a lot of good plot devices for, for you know, things happening. Um, so, yes, yeah, the cat in, in is, is, is very much inspired by my cat. And there are certain instances, like there's a scene in one of the books where the cat, you know, ends up underneath the floorboards, <laughs> you know, and then the house and they have to bring the fire engine out to rescue it. And my cat didn't actually do that, but, you know, she was showing a lot of interest in her in a grate that led into the sort of the, you know, the framework of the house. And so you sort of, you know, you look at these things and you get ideas and you, <laughs> you sort of take it from there. <laughs> Is that, what about like the actual, like the murder, like the story ideas, where do those come from? Do, those, do you base those on like, you, you read a new story or something, or how does those come, come to you? Uh, not new story, no, but mostly I just, I don't know. I did. Well, I don't know, I mean, as, a, as, a, as a mystery or a sort of crime author, or something, you, you probably the same thing. Like, you know, you're always sort of thinking, what if, kind of thing and and, and so they just I guess they just pop out of you everywhere like you know you're always looking at a situation slightly differently that you always wonder if you know but like for instance like I I, a few days I had this thing while I was with my husband in the car we were we were driving and the car in front of us I could see the silhouette of like the head of the person driving and then in the passenger seat in front was like somebody slumped over who obviously was sleeping I mean I hope they were sleeping ages and I looked at that I kept thinking to myself what if they weren't sleeping what if they're dead body what if you know this and maybe they're you know like and, and you just start you know you you I guess it's an overactive imagination you know yeah. or even things like I remember I going to some um uh, several years ago when we were you know looking for a house and stuff we you know you were going to visit a lot of open homes I, I don't know if they do that in the US but in Australia mm-hmm. you know when you tend to have open homes where you have one day 
where all the people could come in to view the house rather than having individual viewings. And so I was there and I and I thought to myself, oh, I wonder what it would be like if you were in a state agent and you arrived to open up a house for an open home and there was like a dead body lying <laughs> on the floor. You know? I mean, I'm sure it's all been done before, but it's just stuff like that happens to me all the time. Just so I still think... What if? <laughs> that's the great mind. That's the great thing of the uh, of mystery and crime writers. They always uh, look at something and they see it different from everybody else because they're looking at the. Oh, I wonder what if a body could fit in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Or you know, what if this was poison instead of whatever? Yeah. You know, or what if so and so was lying and actually her, you know, her, her his wife hasn't gone away to see her mother. Actually, she's dead. <laughs> Part of writing the book, do you find more in, more interesting than when you're when you're actually sitting down to write your 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 books, and and what do you find more challenging? Um, well, I hate the blank page. Oh, <laughs> I'm yes. sure probably. I, I I hate the beginning. Like you know, I you have a pre, you have an idea, obviously a premise, but you then have to sit down and, and you know you literally have a blank page. I'm not one of those writers that can write different scenes and then put it all together. Unfortunately, like I'm quite a linear writer, so. Mm. I find that if I haven't got the establishing scene in the first couple of chapters and I can't move on, even though I vaguely know what happens, I, I still need to write things in chronological order. So so it's very frustrating sometimes, you know, where you just can't, you know, you can't move forward. Um, mm. And so I hate the first draft. It, it's, it's like the most painful kind of, <laughs> kind of getting blood on a stone kind of stage. Um, and and um, but I love editing. I mean, most people hate editing, but I, I actually love editing. I feel like it's the stage, you know, when you polish it into a diamond. Mm-hmm. Well, you hope it's a diamond, <laughs> but um, you know, you you have that sort of rough first draft, and then you go back, and that's when you really make the sentences sing and the characters come to life, and you know, all the stuff that that little things that were bothering you all along, you can sort of polish it up, and, and it starts to take shape into pro- the thing you imagined, or closer to the thing you imagined in your head. Like you never quite get, obviously. To the perfection you wanted in your head like no book you write is ever what you really hope to write but you you know you get closer to it at the editing stage and do you go back or do you like f- write the first draft first and then go back um, i try and get to the end i think yeah. that's very important so i i write from beginning to end i try but i don't often get a chance to you know to leave it for a bit so that you're not um you know, you, so you so you come back to it a bit fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a team of beta readers, so usually what I do is once I finish the first draft, is I send it off to them, um, and then you know, which then gives me a little bit of, of a break from it. And then when they come back to me with all their comments, uh, by then I would have already thought of some things myself, of things I'd like to chew, you know, after you've mulled over for a few days. I sometimes you sort of think, oh, you know, all along actually that was what I was trying to get at or something. And then by then they get all their comments come back as well. And so you, I then go back through the whole thing from the beginning and incorporate, you know, all the changes that I wanted to make based on my own kind of feelings and on all the sort of feedback I get. Um, and then after that, obviously there's the ed- actual editor and, you know, proofreader or the, the sort of official stages, but, but that's sort of the, the earlier stuff is my own kind of process. So your cat was an inspiration for for the your cast character. What about people? Do they ever make it? People you know in real life, do they ever make it into your books or or no? <laughs> uh, not whole scale. Like I know people often think that. Like it's very funny. I, I think people <laughs> always think they recognize themselves, and actually, when they do, it's never them. Like because I've had people say, "Oh, I," you know, they think they're someone, and actually, they're probably someone else in the book, <laughs> but they actually don't recognize themselves. It's a very common thing. I think people have a have an image of themselves that actually isn't doesn't match up with what how other people see them very often 
Um, but not, I mean, I haven't ever, because I, I, it wouldn't be very useful. I, mean, I, I imagine you'd feel the same. Like if you took someone whole scale, they wouldn't fit your story. Mm -hmm. So I tend to lift things like I might take someone's name because I like it or I like it, it fits the character I have in mind. I might take a particular quirk of theirs. Like they always wear dark rimmed glasses um, or the way that they always cover their mouth when they laugh or, you know, little I guess you're a bit like a magpie, you, you know, when you're going around. I mean, I am, I guess I am basing on people in that when I interact with people, I'm always observing them and unconsciously. And then when you create a character, you must be cherry picking all the bits and pieces of people you've met and putting them all together into a new character. But I've never used someone like completely, you know. And if it's names, like I often pick names just because I like the name, <laughs> not, not because... You know, not because the, the person reminds me of that character. You said in your tea in your tea mysteries, the Oxford obviously was was a was a is a real setting. Is is all is your other series are always based in real locations, or do you make your own uh, places up? Well, they're they're all set in the Cotswolds um, oh, or okay. near Oxford. So yes, that's a real location. But the actual places are not real. I mean, even the Oxford Tea Mysteries, the actual colleges I use are all. Um, fictional colleges, oh. mainly for, for libel reasons. You, know, you don't want to start <laughs> suggesting that a dean of a college is a murderer and get a, you end up in trouble. Um, and also because it makes life easier, because if you do pick a real college, anyone who's been to Oxford will know that that college doesn't have a staircase in that tower. Mm. You, you know, you, you can't, you, you have much more creative license um, when you make up the colleges. And, and actually, that was something I picked up from Inspector Morse because, you know, one of the, sort of, um, I suppose, sort of guilty pleasures of watching it, if you've been to Oxford yourself, is is watching the episode and going, that's not so-and-so college. That, that staircase doesn't lead there. That goes to the dining room. Or, because, you know, you know the colleges yourself. Um, or, you're, or you're trying to guess where each setting is. You, know, you think, is this, this college or is it this college? Um, so that's quite good fun. And so I, I but I didn't notice that the TV series made all the colleges in, in the Morse um, episodes and in Lewis, which is, the, which is sort of the spin-off, um, they're all made up colleges. Um, and so I basically did the same thing, you know, but, but I mean, Oxford itself, obviously, is, you know, the city is, is I, I think I have a general rule where basically if it's not slanderous, if it's not a negative representation, then I keep the real place. Um, so I do have things happen in certain pubs in Oxford or certain sort of, you know, at the covered market, which is a very famous tourist destination. Um, that, that's as it is. But if anyone is murdered there or if any kind of negative thing happens, then I tend to change the name of the place. <laughs> I was curious too, because you know, you also have a series, which is, um, and I don't know too much about the paranormal. <laughs> so Yeah, it's a subgenre of cozy, which is the paranormal cozy mystery. Mm -hmm. So the, the idea is that, you know, you have magic as well as um, the usual kind of mystery plot line, I suppose. Um, so you have all the usual cozy ingredients, but there's the, the, the addition of magic or sort of paranormal characters. I thought I'd give that a go. I had this idea. Um, and it is set in the Cotswolds still, but it's set in a fictional um, village in the Cotswolds. And, and I wanted to write something that was, because I love food. And so, you know, all my, like, I, I you know, obviously the first one was all about baking and this one was all about chocolate. And um, so it was about sort of, you know, when people talk about cacao and, and chocolate and the whole kind of, there's, the, 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 there's this magic inherent in, in the actual um, chocolate itself like a lot of the old myth mythology mm -hmm. around chocolate so I was sort of playing with that idea but obviously setting it in the Cotswolds and and in a village and then having a it, you know it's all about a girl who she's an American well she she was she's sort of a sense of the American but she discovers essentially that she was adopted by her American family and that she you know, was born in England and so she comes back at the start of the series to find her real family and and essentially you know discovers this village and finds that she's supposed to be descended from a line of sort of witches 
essentially, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, with, with the power sort of, and in particular powers to do with chocolate. So there's a lot of chocolate in the series. <laughs> People who like chocolate, there's a lot of um, sort of tempting descriptions. <laughs> um, do you have like recipes? Do you share recipes at all in the, in the books or? Not in the chocolate, but I do in the, in the Oxford Tea Room. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's sort of traditional English um, recipes, uh, you know, baking recipes. But, but I actually, to be honest with you, I find with the paranormal mystery, because there's obviously magic involved. Um, I, I've usually they're they're meant to be quite lighthearted, kind of um, you know, a bit like Sabrina the Teenage Witch, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. You yeah. know, where you snap your finger and then there's a spell. But I sort of <laughs> didn't realize when I started writing it that I don't actually like like it never occurs to me to use magic. <laughs> so I keep finding <laughs> myself plotting them as like real mysteries and then reminding myself, oh wait, you know, you can use magic to solve this problem. <laughs> but I don't particularly like having you know magic just be a sort of like just at the last minute just solving everything with a spell. And so I find a lot of the time my my um, preoccupation in that series is trying to decide whether the murder has been like so usually the murder is something that has a paranormal slant and then you get a lot of local gossip or rumors saying you know so and so was killed by witchcraft or so and so was killed by i don't know vampire or something and but a lot of the time most of the stories about whether it could have been magic or whether it could have been just you know um well a, a real life explanation um and i work very hard to try and make sure that the, the mystery fits both ways you, you know um, I think because I, I don't know if you've ever watched X Files, but I was a massive fan of X Files. Yeah, I used to love that show. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I love their that, that constant back and forth, you know, between Mulder and Scully of there could always be a scientific explanation for a lot of the things that he was insisting was was paranormal. And so I think you know I imported that, you know, oh, that's my mindset anyway. <laughs> so because I'm very science sort of based, and so I I brought that into the series that you know that the that you know people think it's magical, but you actually often don't know until the end of the story whether you know it, it was a magical cause or it, or it was just coincidence and you know one of those things. And and it, it, it's um it's a mix, so you don't always know. You have all these different series that you that that you're writing. Do you? I'm kind of curious. Do you do you work on one at a time, or do you like multitask uh, on, on these different series when you're writing them? Um, I I rotate around them only because I have to, otherwise the fans get upset. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like you know you can't. I mean I think it'd be easier probably if you stayed in one series for for a while because you know once you leave the world it, it's you can you come back to it you're quite it's like a carnival start in the morning, <laughs> you know, you have to sort of rev back into it again, but, and, and there's a different voice and, and tone, you know, for each series, but, but I mean, in reality, you, you, you know, you have to rotate because otherwise you would end up leaving the fans of one particular series waiting for too long. If, mm-hmm. you know, if you didn't do, I mean, I suppose maybe if you wrote faster, but you know, I, I can't write fast enough to like do multiple in once once in in the beginning when i'm launching a series i do do more books in that particular series to start. Oh, get it going yeah. yeah to get it going yeah but once at the moment for example i have the three now that are you know established series each with multiple books and so i try my best to rotate around them although sometimes it's not always easy because if you don't you know if you don't have the right idea mm-hmm. you can't force it either and so sometimes you you know you have an idea for a series even though it's not the one you should be writing next, if, if you're being, you know, if you're rotating fairly. And uh, do you put like a, do you do like a lot of research in when you're when you're writing your books or? Probably yeah. more than I should. <laughs> 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 like, you know, I don't know. You always, I, I, I do. Anyway, I always feel like I need to back up anything I put in the book. So I agree. I'm the same I, way too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why, but yeah. <laughs> I think maybe it's a confidence thing as well that you know uh, I, I, I feel like I need to make sure that I am 
you know, as accurate as I can be. And obviously, you know, you, sometimes you make mistakes, but generally you, you, you've done your due diligence, like you've, you've made the effort. I, I don't like lazy authorship, you know, where you just sort of put stuff in because obviously you can. But, um, and, and also, I think, um, I mean, I don't know, I, I have had, I think, you know, readers do notice, like sometimes if you take the extra effort, I, I often get a lot of nice fan mail from people saying, oh, they, you know, they enjoyed the story, but they loved, you know, whatever the extra detail about xyz that they mm-hmm. you know that they learned or that they found fascinating and and i think you can tell it gives the story a bit more depth mm-hmm. um, and flavor yeah especially writing mysteries and, and crime stories you know there's yeah the, even though you, in a cozy they're not they don't want to get the details of the forensics or whatever but, it, but they still want the mystery to work yeah yeah but i mean not even that like i just mean in terms of like the setting you know, oh, or, yes. or if, you're, okay. if you're talking about, a, say, a character that keeps bees, for example, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you don't have to know all the details, but often I will take a detour and I will learn all about beekeeping. I mean, in brief, <laughs> not, not in huge detail, yeah. but, but um, not necessarily because you need to write all that in. But I think it, it in your head anyway, that character is then rounded and, you, you know, you, I think it comes across subconsciously because you then write them behaving in a way that a real beekeeper would behave. Mm-hmm. As, you know, inadvertently, I don't know, have them do something that, that would be totally at odds. And, you know, nowadays, trust me, there'll be some reader who write in and say to you, I'm a beekeeper. And, you know, oh, you oh, yeah. said, and they would never do that. You know? so, so it's nice to be able to think, well, you know, I mean, obviously, you still get that sometimes. But generally, you've you've done your best, to, you know, due diligence and coverage of bases and make sure that you are represented. And, and I think it's only right that you're representing what you write about as fairly as you can. Uh, when you're writing your books, do you, before you start to write them, do you outline? or do you go by the seat of your pants? I know, I'm definitely an outliner. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a control freak. So I'm just, I, it actually isn't, isn't good, I think, because it, it means that I often get very stuck because I don't know what happens next. And until I've plotted out the next part, I can't write. And I do sometimes wish I could just just write, you know, just like they always say, take, see where it takes you. But yeah. I'm not like that in the rest of my life. And I'm definitely not like that <laughs> in writing. Like I would never go drive anywhere without, you know, marking the entire route out on the map first and checking out any possible detours in case there's, you know, traffic jams or roadblocks or something. <laughs> so, so I'm like that with writing as well. I, I, I plot everything. I think also for a mystery, it's, it's a bit hard. Like when I know people do, and you can plot a mystery without knowing who the murderer is, mm-hmm. but I think generally it's for me anyway, I, I always know who it is and how, the, how it's done. And then I work backwards from there. You know, I know the ending and I, and I sort of block it in, in reverse and because if you know you if you know how you if you know how people are going to end up or where they're going to end up it's even easier to put in all the i think all the red herrings and the mm-hmm. sort of false clues on the way to get there yeah that's a know, great, what do you think yeah that was a great book by uh oh, what's his name uh a bell james scott bell uh, i can't remember the title of it but basically that's what yeah. he, it was a great book about yeah figure out the ending and then and then work it out like a reverse outline kind of a style yeah i think maybe it applies more for plot driven stories mm-hmm. so like mysteries are um, yeah. obviously characters are important but you know at the end of the day if you don't have a decent mystery plot mystery readers will be really upset <laughs> whereas i think with a <laughs> yeah. more character driven story like say women's fiction or or um romance then you know what's really important is that is the relationship between characters and if you don't get that right people get upset but the actual plot of you know what happens and what happens next and what happens next I don't think it's maybe as important. So you don't necessarily have to have that all planned out in advance. What do you use to write your books in? Do you use like Word or Scrivener or something else? I just use Word. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very boring. <laughs> no, you don't I did to... try Scrivener, but it, it was almost like, 
you know, we have too many complicated tools that distract <laughs> yeah. from the actual job. And and because I think because I'm a linear writer, I think it, it, it for me, it literally is chapter one. And then I write, you know, paragraphs and paragraph and paragraph. And then it's chapter two. And then I do paragraph. <laughs> and, 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 and to be honest, on Word, you can move things around fairly easily as well. So... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Most of the uh, most of the authors that I've interviewed uh, use words. So really. It, 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 yeah. Oh. Yeah. Very, yeah. Like I. That's think, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I would think probably uh, more than uh, than fifty percent. Oh well, that's used. I always yeah. thought everybody was using all these flash soft, you know, nope. flash software. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah. And so, what's a typical writing day for you when you're when you're writing an actual book? Do you like set a specific hours that you write, or what's your process like there? I wish I, did. I wish I was a bit more organized. I, you know what I find the most frustrating about writing is that you could spend six hours at your desk, of which only maybe one and a half are actually typing, and and they remain. You know what I mean? Like you have to spend six hours to produce the one and a half's worth of one and a half hours worth of typing. But if you could just sit there for one and a half hour and produce that the same thing, you could then have another whatever three hour, three and whatever many hour, four four. Well, maths is not my thing, but anyway, you'd have a lot more free time. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah, no, I I need to sit for hours and hours and hours to produce very little writing, which is very frustrating. But mostly, like, I I do try and you know when I'm in the book, I I sit down at my desk in the morning and not not too uh, that's my other problems I'm not really a morning person so I struggle like I, I wish I could just sit down you know at seven like I, you know you hear some of these authors go on about how they wake up at dawn and they get two hours in yeah. and I just always think oh my god like that's like a superpower I would love to have that you know I mean I can barely formulate a sentence before 10 o'clock on my first cup of tea kind of day, you know I'm just I'm so not a morning person so so I even if I get up early if I sit at my desk I just sort of sit there like a zombie staring at the screen you know like trying to prove you know muster up this energy to find a coherent sentence but so yeah I don't I mean I do you know start work in the morning but I think I only sort of really get going closer to lunch. And then obviously you, you break for lunch and then you come back and then after lunch, you know, you try again uh, before you sort of get to the afternoon. And I usually try and go out in the afternoon. Um, I love gardening. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sort of a new gardener. And I've only started in the last few years. So, you know, it's still like, I'm at that stage where I'm telling everybody, you must do gardening. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I try and make sure I go out in the garden, you know, for an hour at least in the afternoon, um, just for, for health reasons. Because <laughs> otherwise you do literally sit at your desk all day. And then after dinner, I sort of, you know, I, if I'm deep in a book, I go back and do a couple more hours writing in the evening. But if if I'm not like, you know, if it's not, if I'm not on the deadline, then usually I do end up going back to work very often, but I just do admin more, you know, because there's always emails and all sorts of, uh, you know, marketing and things like that that you need to keep on top of, unfortunately. Yeah, and I remember the, your, your covers are so cool and you used to, you design your own covers, right? Or you used to? I do actually. Because you're not supposed to, and I always try and keep Well, no, but they're it. good though. You don't you don't if, if you're doing them and they're not good, then you're not supposed to, but you but you have the talent. Yeah, so. but but still, I mean in general, like I always talk about don't do your own covers because that is the general advice. Yeah. Um, but I mean I, I did do I I did actually I did the reverse. I used to have a professional design and then I just sort of fell into doing them myself. I, I found it quite stressful with the whole back and forth kind of feedback yeah. it was just the situation I was in but you know sometimes you're sort of tiptoeing around people's egos or worried about you know upsetting them if you want a slight more tweak than you know and I found what was happening was I was having to like do mock-ups myself on photoshop to show the designer what I wanted 
And after all, I started thinking, this is really stupid. If I could do a mock-up, it's only one step further to actually doing the cover. And I just had to learn a few, you know, skills. I do have an art sort of background. So it's sort of, you know, it's helped, I suppose, like just understanding negative space and, you know, perspective and all that sort of stuff. So. And what's your latest book now? What's, uh, which, what series are you working on now? I'm working actually on the next book, the 11th book in my Oxford Tea Room Mysteries. Oh, awesome. uh, so yeah, that's back to the first one, which the, which the readers are very happy about. Um, I, I keep thinking, oh, this series has got, you know, over 10, well, it's got 10 books plus a prequel. So I keep thinking, oh, it's, you know, it's quite a long series and I should really maybe be starting. And I'd really like to start another series. I've got so many ideas for series I want to start, but the fans love, you know, this series. And so, you know, it's very hard. Like you sort of feel like you want to keep the fans happy as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously you still have ideas of stories, you, you know, you could tell. So, so yeah, so I'm working on the next book in that series. And I noticed that I was doing a little, uh, looking at your Amazon page, you have a lot of, uh, your books have been translated in like German and a whole bunch of different languages. How, uh, uh, German and, and I've just started French. Yeah. Oh, wow. So there's a big market for cozies in, in those countries. I don't know. To be honest, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, no, Germany has done very well. I've been surprised at how well it's done. Um, and French, I've only just sort of ventured into the market. So I'm definitely keeping my fingers crossed that there is a market. <laughs> but I think in terms of, I mean, I, I just, for me, it was, you know, I, I actually always had a very big German um, readership, which I was surprised, by, you know, like in terms of my markets um in terms of where the sales came from after the us and and the uk um in fact german often used, used to match the uk oh, um wow. and so i i so when you know when i sort of finally got around to doing translations it seemed a logical thing and then but i wasn't i didn't you know you know like translations are quite a big investment and and you you sort of you don't really know what your expectations are but i was very pleasantly surprised so yeah i mean they've i think the whole german market is growing at the moment moment, though so Mm. that's definitely helped um and also from the point of view that as a population like they they are readers and they've really embraced ebooks so i think that's helps as well but um but yeah it's very exciting It's, it's bizarre because you sort of see the story in another language that's it's almost like it's like seeing yourself in one of those funhouse mirrors you know what i mean oh, like, yeah. it's a version of you but not really like it's warped <laughs> and slightly I, I can't read german at all so that has been a bit more distant. but i can read french sort of rudimentary french because um, i did french at school and so reading the french translation i i can read it enough that i recognize my own story but it's it's really strange because it's it's in another language. You know? yeah. yeah, it must be weird to see it reading it in a language that you don't know uh, any of it. So, so it's like all like, looks like strange, <laughs> strange letters. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean it's like, it's like you recognize elements of your, it's a bit like looking at that mirror thing where yeah. you can see bits of yourself, but it's a warped version, you know, yeah. or warped is a negative word, but, but, um, but yeah, it's like a slightly different version from another angle. And I've been curious too, because I've been asking the, after this year with the pandemic, how did that change or affect your writing at all? Or is for you? Really? I mean, I think this is a joke, isn't it? That like, in the olds have been self-published uh, sorry self-isolating since 2013 yeah, yep. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much our life it's like welcome you to know? our world yeah exactly I, yeah i did feel that when everybody started going into lockdown and you know i self-isolating i was thinking well welcome to my world <laughs> like you know we, we we sort of i mean obviously it's something to joke about but that is our life really that you know the only way to get stories written is to isolate yourself from from unfortunately and just get put your head down and then mm. write so from that point of view it, it didn't really i think maybe the only difference is obviously the anxiety like you know that you're quite 
initially anyway, you're quite yeah. stressed and worried. And so that does play havoc on your, I think, on your ability to, to create. I think people, it's like half and half, wasn't it? Like some people said they, were, they became super productive during lockdown mm-hmm. and the initial thing. And other people just couldn't do it, couldn't, like became less productive. That, that was me, definitely. I just yeah. gave up on everything. I spent all my time on the news sites, like, you know, following the news. And yeah, same here. Doom scrolling, doom scrolling. I think yeah, it was, yeah, it was It was hard to focus on, on writing when you, when all that stuff was going on. Yeah, and you went yeah. to the grocery store and you felt like you were, you were in another world. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If anything, actually, I started thinking, oh, maybe I'll write a dystopian about <laughs> Like, you know, you just totally started like thinking in the wrong way. It's, it's also, it was quite, I think also writing cozies anyway, where you had to create um, humor and lightheartedness. It was, I found that really hard. The, yeah. the first, you know, in 2020, when there was, before the vaccine was announced and, you know, there was a lot of anxiety about what was actually going to happen and nobody actually knew how serious things were going to be. And, and I mean, not the things aren't serious, but, you know, now I guess we have a bit more of a clear idea of, of, of you know, how things pan out and the parameters, whereas in the beginning it was all unknown. Mm-hmm. And so in the midst of that, trying to sit down and write a funny scene, you know, with nosy old ladies and sort of mischievous cats, it was just really <laughs> hard to, to, to sort of, you know what I mean, like to, to psych yourself into that mood and and then to be funny and lighthearted because you weren't feeling remotely funny or lighthearted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And then people say, you know, they escape that, like they want that escape, but you as the creator, you know, have to create that escape for people. But it was really hard when you didn't have that escape yourself. One of the final questions I always ask is because uh, I know I have uh, aspiring writers that listen to this podcast. <laughs> Any advice? I finished the novel. That's what I always tell people. Because <laughs> I, yes. I, get, I get so many people who could do you know, who asked me or, or, you know, who I, and, and they always say, oh, I've started this. And, and there's always, you know, the sagging middle where everybody runs out of steam, like halfway in 20,000 words in or 30,000 words in. Suddenly you think it's the dumbest story ever, you know, dumbest idea anyone's ever come up with and a dreadful story. And, and then people, what happens often is they just start a new thing. Cause you know, I'm, I'm prone to that as well, except that obviously as a, as a professional working writer, you've been there before, you know that you have to just push through to the end. You can't start a new story. But I think I meet a lot of aspiring novelists who keep starting something new rather than sticking with the existing thing. And, and, I, and I think that doesn't help because you learn more from completing a novel than you do from starting 10 new ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not going to be able to, to get anything done if you don't have one, one book written at least. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, not just from a you know, from a logistical point of view, but from like you know, people talk about being better writers or whatever, all the rest of it. But you you really like there's a whole pr- the process isn't just about starting; it's about you know actually getting to the end and 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 being able to see the arc and understanding the, the sort of the beats and the up and down and all the rest of it. And, and you only really do learn that thing from the whole experience. It yeah. is, it, it's a bit like you know, if you learn piano, if you learn a piece of music, if you only ever learn the first four bars, you can learn the first four bars of six different songs, but never really learn to play the piano versus actually completing a whole song from beginning to end, you know. Yeah. But um but it's if I agree it's difficult. I mean like you know I, I struggle with this because I'm sure I mean do you like you know you get to 20,000 words and you think oh this was a terrible idea this is really stupid you know sort of yeah, it's always the same, right? Like that you think of the more books you have out, but it's always you always seem to start thinking that at the same point at yes, every project. Exactly. <laughs> and and also people sort of say, I mean, you get I get frustrated myself. I think, you know, I've written over 30 mysteries now, and I think 
well, you know, it should be easy by now. <laughs> you know, you've done it enough times. You you should have a formula, but it doesn't quite go like that. You know, you're just you're just as much prey to self doubt and all the rest of it. It's just that I suppose being professional, you sort of you know you force yourself to just get through it. Yeah, play th- yeah. play through the pain. <laughs> Sorry? You play through the pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah that, would, that would be my main piece of advice. And I think the other thing is, is to understand what you want from your writing, like from the book. Because, you know, there's a big difference between whether you want, like what I did, commercial success, which because that's important to me for, you know, for other reasons, or whether you just want to have your story out in the world and some, you know, some people appreciating it. Because I think that affects what you write a lot and mm-hmm. you know and sadly you know the old thing people used to say oh just write what you love you know that doesn't always work and unless what you love happens to be mainstream mm-hmm. and mass market then fine you know you're very lucky you know what you like is what everyone else likes but sometimes what you love isn't that mainstream and then you struggle to find an audience so then which won't matter if that's not what you care about the most like in terms of you know sales mm-hmm. so i think like a lot of people also don't quite get that figured out in their heads like you know they they they, they just think about the whole thing like almost as a vague idea of like publishing a novel um, and being a writer. But, but you know, what kind of writer do you want to be? Do you want it as a career? Do you want to earn a living from it? Because that then determines whether, you know, what you write needs to be, like needs to fit the market more and then, you know, what how you need to think of that versus do you just want to, you know, is it more like a hobby or is it like a, you know, passion thing where you're just writing something for fun and for you and you don't really care when only a hundred people read it, you know, that sort of thing. Figure out what you what you want out of get out of the writing. So yeah. Yeah, because I, I think that affects because otherwise the advice is quite different. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to make it as a viable as a career in terms of earning an income, a reliable, steady, decent income, then that's you know, you, you you have to unfortunately understand the market and and possibly, you know, adjust yourself to meet the market because that's just the you know the reality of it. But, you know, if all you're writing is you don't really care, you have, say, for example, another job and writing is just a, a passion, hobby thing, then it doesn't really matter. You know, you can write whatever you want. And nowadays you can publish it without needing necessarily to, to go through a publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just have to be realistic then in that situation that maybe in that case you might not be selling, you know, millions of copies, but that might be fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's just making sure you've got the right, you understand your goals, so where and uh, so where can the people find you? Uh, is your website probably your best place? Is it hyhanna.com or? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. I'm I'm not very good at social media. <laughs> I try to be, but I haven't ever caught on. So I'm often not. I don't often don't log on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So yeah, by my and my website is probably the best place. And you know you can you can contact me through the um, contact page there. Um, and I I do have a newsletter, so you know. People can keep. Generally, my readers keep up with me. I'm, I'm good on my newsletter. Like I do email news regularly on my newsletter. <laughs> I just sometimes don't show up on Facebook for months. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, uh, Shinny, so much for being on the uh, on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking to you about your work and your books. Is is a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I feel very honored to be here, and it was lovely chatting with you. <laughs> it was. Yes. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers. Or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. 
As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, show. If you have done that already, I thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more, uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links. All my links will be uh, on that uh, page. So that's it for this episode. Uh, See you next time and stay safe out there.